Today on the WSJ Media Mix podcast, Mike CEO Chris Altchek talks about how young people get their news, why sponsored content is here to stay, and why his company will be the next big new media giant. Stick around. Welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast, bringing you interviews and analysis with people that matter in the fast-changing media business. Hello and welcome to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Stephen Perlberg. I'm joined by my colleague, Jack Marshall. How's it going, Jack? It's going well, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. So we've got a really exciting episode today. Once again, uh, we have the CEO and co-founder of Mike, that's M-I-C.com, and uh, Chris Alchek is here. Thanks so much, Chris, for joining us. I'm excited to be here. So uh, I guess maybe the, the, the best place to start for our listeners is Mike sort of defines itself as a millennial news site. What, what does that mean? We are trying to build the most uh, trusted news brand for millennials in the U.S. and globally. Uh, as we think about uh, what that really means, that's uh, a brand where young people learn about what's happening in the world and hopefully uh, empower and, and inform them uh, about you know pretty rapidly changing world. So, so why do millennials need separate news? I guess that's my biggest question. I mean, I think we're all millennials here. Um, we are. But I don't, like, queue up, like, okay, uh, I want my sports news, so I'm going to a sports news site. Now I'm ready for my millennial news, <laughs> so i got to go to my millennial news site. Like, why do you guys think of it generationally? Is that is that a way to think about news these days? Yeah. I, I mean, I think uh, a, a couple you – know, so there's been a lot of skepticism uh, about this um, from – you know some some traditional news uh, people, um, and so maybe we'll just look at you know first just look at the data. Um, what we've tried to do is uh, focus our editorial around the issues that our generation cares about, and we're not thinking about all 80 million millennials in the U.S. We're thinking about you know the 40 million that went to college, um, and so we've covered the issues that we think they orient their worldview around. So one, news and politics, that's where we started. Um, a great example is we were you know, one of the first teams to put reporters on Bernie Sanders' campaign full-time right in the beginning. A lot of people thought that was excessive. turned out that he had a much more real campaign than a lot of traditional bigger news sites. And do you feel like that's because you guys had your finger on the pulse of what young people were, were thinking about in terms of politics this cycle? Or, or Yeah, I think that. And we were also looking at data and analytics and informing where there was a huge amount of interest, and there was a huge amount of interest. And this was before Bernie went on his West Coast tour and filled up stadiums in Seattle and Portland. Um, and it showed you know, that the model actually works. So that was news and politics. Then we launched um, culture, but really through the lens of uh, social justice, so race, LGBT issues, um, <clears throat> though that's how we view music, arts, style. Um, that's been really, really successful. Recently, we just launched our self-improvement sections around uh, food. We're launching money soon. Um, we're launching a mental health-focused sort of wellness section. Those are all sort of interesting editorial angles. What that's resulted in is now more than one out of two. So more than 50% of all college-educated millennials in the U.S. read Mike every month or watch Mike every month. Um, and so I think, you know, th I think we've been able to uh, build a millennials-focused news site that attracts more college-educated millennials than any of our competitors um, because our editorial is very fine-tuned to what they care who, about. Who do you think of as your competitors? It's probably worth mentioning. Like, Is it the BuzzFeeds and the Voxes of the world, or is it – I've heard you guys describe yourselves as sort of trying to be the New York Times for millennials – um, or at least that's been attributed to, to you guys if you haven't described yourself that way. Is that who you think of as your competition? Yeah, I, th I think um, all of the above. Um, 
I think you know there's a bunch of people doing really interesting things in the digital space, and then there are several legacy companies doing really interesting things in the digital space as well around our audience. And so, you know, we don't think of ourselves as having to build the comprehensive sort of go to mic.com and know what's happening in the world in 10 minutes because our audience is consuming on all these various platforms and therefore they're seeing other people's content there too. And so we're competing with the other people that have content on these platforms that are being successful. Ultimately though, you know, the way we measure impact is uh, when we write something or when we produce a video, um, does it matter as much as, you know, when the New York Times writes something or when CNN produces something? And, and we're not there yet. Um, but we're much further along than we were four and a half years ago when we started. And over the next five years, I think we can get there. So uh, just to go back to kind of the, the millennial, I, I'm just kind of curious how you even sort of define millennial because, I mean, obviously there's a big difference between sort of the tastes and behaviors and, and media consumption habits of a, a 31-year-old versus a 21-year-old, for example. Um, I appreciate there was sort of a, a gap in the market there to fill, which, um, you know, you guys are obviously sort of trying to step into. But I just wonder how that sort of evolves over time as your, as your audience sort of matures. Yeah, yeah. So the way we define millennials, I mean, it's we actually did a whole segment on how the definition of millennials is is very different and, and varying amongst all the experts. But the way we think about it is 1980 to 1994. I think that's a pretty clean uh, definition. A lot of people go to two, 1980 to 2005. You know, then it becomes really a massive audience. Um, but then we further segment the group into uh, you know millennials who have been to college, and so that really narrows the pie down to call it mid twenties um, to early thirties young people um, who have a certain curiosity about what's happening in the world and a certain level of sophistication around that, and that's really where our market angle is. Um, but you mentioned the next five years. Like, is the plan to track those people as they mature, and then yeah, all of a sudden they're going to stop serving? Right? Like, is there going to be like a parenting <laughs> like vertical all, yeah. because now all of these millennials are having kids because your audience is like in their early thirties now, or is it like okay, now we've got to get what is it, centennials or Gen Z? I forget Gen Z. Gen Z. Like, is am I going to read a story or write the story that Mike is now pivoting to? You know, the teens. Yeah. So I, I two thing, two answers. One is I think uh, the audience is going to move a lot faster and the technology is going to move a lot faster than sort of a five-year horizon on how this is going to play out. So I think it's going to happen much sooner than we think. Um, two things. One is we're, we're going to grow with this generation. So you may see a lot of parenting content on Mike, and actually there is already a lot more parenting content on Mike than there was a year ago because 80% of moms today are millennial uh, of every baby born in the U.S. Um, so that's starting to happen for sure. Um, I think as we get more successful, you'll see... Uh, more millennial-minded old people start reading Mike. That's great. And we already see that. Um, But as we get better and as the quality gets better and as we get more robust, I think you'll start to see that. Uh, But we're not going to um, pivot our editorial to reach 50-year-olds, for example. So, you know, a great example... Only if they're millennial-minded. Yeah, I mean, if they're millennial-minded. And so what that means is, is you know, uh, if you look at my gen- you know, our generation against our parents' generation, you know, 84% of millennials think that climate change is, is happening and real, and it's only high 50s of, 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 of boomers who think that. Um, and so the coverage around climate change at publications that focus on that demo is actually very different than the coverage around climate change at our, at our publication. Um, and so those are nuances, but we're not going to change our stances on climate change to attract an older demo. So if more, young peop- if more old people think the way we do, then they'll start reading Mike or watching Mike. And then when it comes to Gen Z, 
we've uh, we've designed this these pretty cool formats um, where we built SWAT teams to 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 program to new platforms. Um, so SWAT teams is that how you- so it's it's you know when we see a new opportunity. Um, emerging on a new platform, we pull usually a relevant team that's a, a journalist, an editor, uh, potentially a video producer, uh, an analytics person, a designer, um, and maybe an engineer. So like a four to seven person team. Um, and we give them six weeks to six months to hack on a platform and build something interesting. So like right now, what are we hacking on? Uh, bots. Um, so we've got interesting bots in, in Kick. We've got interesting bots on Messenger. Um, TBD on whether those are going to be successful. Early indications are that there is actually some real potential there, but it's too early to tell. So, so when you say bots, I mean that's something you can interact with and say, you know, what, what's happening today? The sort of chatbots that Facebook uh, unveiled, things like that, where you would uh, be talking to Mike and they would send you news stories that you're interested in? Yeah, so so exactly. So we started off there, realized that that wasn't that interesting to just like get headlines right. through a bot. Um, so we built a Trump bot on Kick. Uh, which is pretty fun and, and interesting. We built uh, a caption contest. What does a Trump bot entail? Like quotes that from <laughs> Trump on the trail? Yeah, you can sort of ask him ask him questions and get back some very entertaining results. Got and it, then, it, it. Um, if you want to learn a little bit more, it actually links you to a Mike story deeper into the conversation. But the goal is not to link out. The goal is to create this sort of repetitive engagement. Um, and so we were actually testing a bunch of different bots. Um, we're doing a similar SWAT team experiment on Facebook Live. Uh, we're doing a similar SWAT team in- experiment actually on SMS text messaging right now. Um, and the way I see those platforms, it's a long way of long-winded way of saying like that's how we'll get Gen Z. Um, is if one of these experiments really hits and it's on a platform where Gen Z is interested, then I think I think there's an opportunity for Gen Z to grow into Mike over time. But we're not going to super aggressively go after Gen Z right now by dumbing down our content um, or you know telling the news through a 12 year old's perspective. Um, so I think over time there's opportunity if we're good on if we remain good on new platforms. It's interesting as you were talking about the SWAT teams there. I mean, obviously for a sort of a digital focused publisher, there are so many different platforms and opportunities and mediums. You know, there's video, there's live video. Um, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, how do you decide what to invest in and sort of for how long and when to move on? Because not every one of these opportunities is is going to be a hit, right? I mean, do you kind of set short term goals or how do you think about that? Yeah, and and that's, you know, this is one of the most fun parts of being in this industry right now is, you know, there's 15 new platforms, either new platforms that that were new or old platforms that are new again like newsletter or live um, or totally new platforms like bots or VR or 360. There's so many different investment opportunities right now. Um, and I think, you know, the way we approach it is a couple of things. Do we see meaningful and potential for explosive audience growth? You know, if it's going to sort of steadily chug along, it's probably not that interesting for us. Do we see a real fit with our type of content? Um, and that's that's usually the biggest the biggest hurdle is some of the new platforms are just not a fit for news or not a fit for the type of news we want to tell, and so that then it might not be a fit. Um, What's an example of a, a platform that you guys have kind of passed up? Um, well, so not for that specific reason, but one that we we slowed down on was actually 360. Um, 360 video? Yeah. We did a bunch of experiments um, at the end of last year, earlier this year. The data showed that the biggest distribution platform for 360 right now was, was really Facebook. Um, and inside of Facebook, the usage of those videos was 
a lot of people were actually like looking at the floor and didn't really real didn't really figure out how to rotate their camera around um and that coupled with the challenge of telling a really good narrative in 360 which is very very different than telling a really good video narrative um made it something that gave us a lot of pause in terms of putting a ton of resources there today um and so that's one where we've and there there's there's a lot of them and the way we view it is if like we're not if we're not seeing a lot of failed experiments and we're probably not trying enough um so we're that's part of the culture and 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 that's um something that you need you need a team that works together very effectively across different departments or that's impossible to do it's worth stepping back for you know maybe some of our non-millennial but millennial friendly listeners for like how did we how did you get here like what is your background you started this uh digital media company called policy mike originally right and it was sort of a politics for young people site and now it's sort of morphed as we've talked about you know in the, in the past few minutes into this uh site that covers lots of different things so what, what's your background uh you are a millennial uh how did you get here yeah yeah so i'm i'm 28 years old um i started mike with uh jake horowitz uh, my co-founder um we met in high school actually so f- more than 15 years ago now um and jake uh, Jake, after graduating from college, uh, went to work as a researcher, reporter in the Middle East. Um, I worked uh, in politics and then in finance. Um, and he moved back to New York to work for Change.org. Uh, was starting to see a lot of interesting things happening at Change.org, and that's got us got us interested in this topic of um, where are young, smart people getting their information? How are they talking about what's happening in the world? Um, and we actually had a really uh, lucky break in the beginning. I was working at Goldman Sachs in finance um, in 2010, and Jake and I launched this little blog called Policy Mike um, just to test out some ideas. Jake had a friend who was working in uh, Tunis um, as a English teacher, and the guy sent us an email at like two in the morning, the first week, one of the nights, first week in December. It was the one initial account from on the ground in Tunis as the revolution was starting. We ended up posting it all night. We didn't know what we were doing. It was very much like of the moment. Um, and that next day, we we were both like floored and we're like, okay, this is what we want to be doing. This is fully addicting. This is interesting. Right. There's a lot happening here. Like, let's figure out a way to quit our jobs and do something in this space full time. And that was the next four or five months. Um, then we quit our jobs the beginning of 2011 uh, to launch it full-time and, and you know, ended up having two bets that I think were right place, right time. One was um, millennials were actually different consumers and had a different worldview than other generations um, and were a demo that was going to be highly, highly targeted. Um, and two... Uh, was that the way they were consuming news was changing really quickly and that it would probably be a broad trend and that Facebook, Twitter, and phones would lead the way. Cool. Um, so we we sort of we got lucky. Like We couldn't have done this three years earlier, and I don't think could have done this three years later. Sure. Well, we're going to talk more about that. Uh, We've got to take a quick break. Back with more with uh, Mike, CEO, and co-founder Chris Alchek right after this. Hi, I'm Paul Vigna. If you do not subscribe to the Money Bee podcast, you are going to feel worse than a short seller on the day of a big rally. Go to iTunes and WSJ.com slash podcasts. You want to sign up for this one. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the WSJ Media Mix podcast. I'm Jack Marshall here with Stephen Pearlberg and Chris Altchek, Mike.com CEO. 
Um, so, Chris, uh, just kind of curious to ask a bit about um, your business model. Um, obviously, you guys have, have raised money, uh, venture capital money. Um, but, you know, you sell advertising. Uh, just kind of t- talk us through sort of what, what, what the business model is there. Yeah. Um, so the business model has a few different legs. Um, the first and most robust one is advertising. Um, that's been a focus of ours since uh, really the summer of last year uh, when we started built a team out around it, um, and started to focus on it intensely. So you were kind of focused on the audience piece prior to that? We were focused on the audience piece, um, and we were focused on figuring out what type of advertising we would want to do. Um, and so we you know, ran some different experimental campaigns with uh, brands in a bunch of a bunch of different forms of advertising actually before last summer and last summer is when we really realized, okay, this is a type of advertising we want to do. Um, and now you guys are profitable, right? We are not yet profitable. Not yet. So, uh, what's the what's the revenue situation? I mean, you guys you guys have raised a lot of money. Um, you have a I think as of last summer when you raised had a valuation around a hundred million dollars. Um, it's a tough time in digital media. Like, what's the revenue situation look like, and what's what, what, do you guys plan on being profitable soon, or when's uh, when's that going to happen? Yeah. So we. Um we are growing at least 350% this year off of last year. Um, we booked more in the first uh, four months than we did all of last year. Um, and so are feeling very, very good. But that's uh, off a, a low base, right? As, yeah, as you, you said, you only kind of ramped up last yeah, year. Yeah, it's, it's off of a sh- strong-ish base. Um, and I think more importantly, as we look towards the long-term signals, we're now up to 10% of the Fortune 100 are advertisers on mic. We only sell ads directly. We don't do any programmatic advertising. Um, and uh, a large percentage of those have already rebought within the first three quarters. And so I think what we found is um, we've got a very unique value proposition to advertisers. Um, and the business is growing a lot faster than many of us expected. Um, profitability is an important benchmark for any business, um, but not the only benchmark. And and you know we, we will uh, we will get to profitability um, in a time horizon that we're very comfortable with financially. Um, so I think you know from an advertising standpoint, the business is actually doing incredibly well. Um, there has been a lot of noise in the media and tech marketplace about ad-supported digital media businesses. Um, but the scale of what we're talking about is very, very real. I mean, we are going to be as big as several legacy, big legacy newspaper digital businesses in the next two years. So you guys, I mean, you've picked that. I think some of the noise that you're talking about is this argument. We've talked about it on the podcast before of, you know, a bunch of big digital media companies really raising a ton of money, chasing scale, having lots of different verticals like like you guys do. And, and the big guys, sort of BuzzFeeds, the vices of the world, they picked that lane and they achieved very, very large scale. And then there are sort of the niche players, which have to pick the other lane to say, you know, we're going to focus on something super specific and maybe derive some sus- subscription revenue. But the conventional wisdom right now is that the publisher is in the middle maybe you guys right now, not quite as big as the BuzzFeeds and the Vices of the World, are going to totally get squeezed. You're not on the uh, sort of niche side. You're not on the big side yet. So what's the path to get really big? Yeah, I think um, the path to getting really big is developing direct relationships with the advertisers who spend the most money in the world. Um, If you look at Viacom, 
75% of their advertising revenue comes from 50-ish clients. Um, so the question is, do you have a direct relationship with with the 100 advertising clients that matter? And do they care about what the audience you're bringing and the type of advertising products you're bringing to them? Um, by all measures, Mike is way outperforming on that on that benchmark and couldn't be more confident that um, we have an advertising business that is very exciting um, and will be exciting for the next decade. So is least. that like the, the Mike Food thing that launched uh, this week? I noticed that's sort of sponsored looks to, to me to be sponsored wholly by a McDonald's or all of the advertising on the pages of McDonald's. Like, do you guys sell that as sort of a, you can sponsor Mike food for the week or for longer? How, how does that work? Yeah, so we've got a bunch of interesting ad packages. Half of our business is, is branded content, um, and that's growing incredibly quickly both in video and in text. Um, there, you know, Mike's bread and butter is creating and marketing content we do it for ourselves every day. We reach 30 million people a month. Um, we're very, very good at that. We reach a much larger number of people a month on video, on distributed platforms. So brands are coming to us to help them do it for them. Um, the second part of our business is media, um, and that's actually selling interesting and beautiful advertising experiences on Mike and our own platforms. Um, and so the campaign that you're mentioning with McDonald's, you'll see a combination of both. Um, and I think uh, it's it's an example of some of the interesting ways in which we can uh, help brands tell their story for for this audience and this generation. Do you think that the value of sponsored content has been proven for advertisers yet? Because you know, over the past couple of years, publishers, you know, yourselves, and you know, even WSJ uh, have kind of flocked to this to this space. Um, but I just wonder, you know, have we got to the point yet? Are publishers doing a good enough job of sort of justifying that investment? Or is it still relatively early and, you know, brands are saying, hey, you know, we'll give it a try? Yeah, I think ROI measurement around branding content or return on investment measurement around branding content is, is a big debate and, and, and a really interesting space. Um, what we found is uh, that with our audience, there's a measurable brand lift uh, with a lot of campaigns. We found measurable uh, purchase intent lift, measurable uh, perception lifts with the different types of campaigns, and each campaign is targeted for a different reason. So we found uh, them to be very effective, but um, taking a step back, we've also started to measure them um, using some interesting tools that we've built internally for editorial, and, and so we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of potential in that space. Um, one thing to note is is our audience, you know, 40% of millennials have ad blocker. Um, it's the highest percentage of any demo. Um, so they you also, guys are sort of hit harder by that than most, potentially? Or? Well, no, because um, the majority of our business is branded content, and that doesn't get blocked. Um, but I think the broader point is, is millennials are blocking ads on the web. They're able to skip ads on TV. Um, they essentially don't consume any advertising that's not opt-in. Um, and so what that means, if you fast-forward that and play that out over 15 years, um, all advertising will have to be some version of branded content 15 years from now because if you want to skip an ad, it's just going to be too easy to skip ads that are intrusive. And so brands are going to have to create ads that you don't want to skip um, and that you're willing to, to watch or read or consume. And so I don't think branded content is a fad. I think branded content will be all forms of advertising in 15 years. It's just It's just too easy for consumers to skip. So you don't think I don't I don't want to belabor this point, but um, 
you know, obviously TV advertising worked for years and I guess over time sort of people became desensitized to it or found ways to avoid it. You don't think the same thing is going to potentially happen with, with sponsored content too or that just continues to evolve and sort of... I think it'll direction. continue to evolve really quickly and in inter- interesting ways. Um, I think we're at, you know, we're in the early days of what it looks like. Um, it's proven it's proven to be pretty effective for the brands that have done it really well. Um, and uh, But I think it's going to change dramatically and continue to evolve really quickly. And so I think uh, five years from now, the types of branded advertising will be very different than what you see today. And that's another exciting point. Like, when have we been in a time in media where everything is changing so quickly? Like, it's it's just, it's awesome. I mean, you're, nothing is sacred anymore, um, it, whether it's the business model, the distribution plan, or the content creation systems. It's all, it's all being reinvented in different ways. And so, as a as a moment to be a, a, a digital media entrepreneur, it's pretty exciting. So talk a bit more about the distribution piece there then, because obviously, again, you know, for a company like yourselves, I think you said earlier, you know, it, it would be hard to start a company like Mike, um, you know, perhaps 10 years ago or maybe in a few years' time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we kind of touched on this already, but with so many sort of distribution options, I mean, that's obviously, I guess, on one hand, sort of an exciting opportunity for you guys, but also probably fairly scary right i mean what what percentage of your audience comes directly to you versus you know reading your content through facebook instant articles or wherever else yeah so it's um we're now 80 percent of our content is uh consumed on mobile devices um so that's is that like mike.com on mobile devices or probably like mike instant articles on uh on facebook it's a combination of mike instant articles mike.com google google amp um our apps uh video i mean it's it's well that's not even including video actually so it's it's a huge percentage of our content is now consumed on mobile um i think you know one of the reasons i said that that uh, this wouldn't have been possible a decade ago is because news consumption was very heavily uh, done through print or or print or, or TV. Um, now we've got platforms um, like Snapchat, which you know have grown to I've, you know 150 million daily active users. So are you guys big on on Snapchat? Because I would think you know you guys aren't in um, Snapchat Discover, and just based on your audience, I would think that'd be like some place that you guys are dying to get on. Yeah. So we've actually seen our um, our our channel our not our discover channel but because we we're not on discover but our um our handle grow now m- several months 150 percent month over month um so are you taking that to snapchat and saying look how great our snapchat content is can we get a snapchat discover channel or, or what yeah and i think you know what we're seeing is is our ability to create really good content on the ch- on the channel and we're also seeing um a really high repeat engagement with that position in stories um and so, you know, I think Snapchat is an exciting and fast-growing platform. We're one of the biggest publishers on Tumblr, um, which has been... Now you don't hear that all the time in 2016, people bullish on Tumblr. No, but, you know, there's still a lot of users on Tumblr. Sure. And um, they're, if you look at our youngest demo, it comes from Tumblr. Um, and that's been really interesting. It's and, your youngest uh, demo. That's interesting. Yeah, our, our youngest traffic source by far is Tumblr. Um, we, we see high engagement amongst yeah, teenagers really and, and, and early 20s on Tumblr. Um, so that's been really successful. We've seen, um, I mean, 
it's a crazy stat, but 3,000% growth on Instagram. Um, and now, you know, we're continuing to see a lot of growth on Facebook. And so w- one of the reasons I bring all those things is now we've got multiple platforms with everywhere from 100 million users to a billion and a half users that are very effective ways of distributing our content that just didn't exist um, that just didn't exist a decade ago and that's one of the reasons why you could even claim to build a brand that um, that you hope to challenge the big news brands um, because this is a distribution opportunity that just wasn't around and and has now started to get crowded um, over the last you know several years are you bullish that Facebook, uh, you guys are big in, into Facebook video, Facebook Live, that that's going to be a really big revenue opportunity? Or right now, do you view it as, hey, look, Facebook's really investing in video, Facebook's really investing in Facebook Live, um, they are, in some cases, paying publishers to participate in those programs, and we're seeing crazy views, so like, let's tie some balloons to a house and fly in Central Park, which is what you guys did, or you know, blow up a watermelon, which is what uh, BuzzFeed did. So um, do you view it as a business opportunity, or or an audience opportunity? Both. Um, and the way I view it is uh, if you look at the three big industries that are sort of playing together, you have tech, the tech industry, you have the uh, media industry, and you have the advertising industry. Um, they obviously are all very closely related, but slightly separate. Tech moves really fast, and the, the speed of platform changes has been amazing over the last several years. I mean, just in the last year alone, Facebook Live, Google AMP, Instant Articles, a little bit over a year old, uh, Snapchat, Discover, uh, you're going to have, you had Twitter moments before that. You're going to continue to have new and interesting platforms emerging at crazy speed on the tech side. You have media companies, you know, like, like us and, and other digital media companies moving pretty fast to keep up with what's happening on the tech side. And then you have, um, advertisers who are you know now a 600 billion dollar industry globally who take a little bit of time to change and and don't they don't chase every rabbit that shows up they sort of see what's going to last for 12 months and then they decide to move their budgets um and so you know what our strategy is always build audience first and then figure out where the interesting monetization is and then monetize expect to monetize 18 months later um we did that um, with our current audience, you know, we weren't monetizing for the first three and a half years of launching Mike, um, and now are very, very successfully monetizing that audience. We've now started to build a big audience on Facebook video and several other distributed video platforms, um, and we're not monetizing that yet, but we think there will be great monetization opportunities there if that audience ends up being real and permanent, which I think I very much think it is. Do you feel like? Are you afraid of relying too strongly on Facebook? That's something that you hear a lot of publishers are nervous about, this sort of stressful relationship and all the hand-wringing that media executives have about um, the reliance on Facebook. Uh, going forward, are you worried that um, you can invest too much in Facebook Live, Facebook Video, and, and Instant Articles? I think um, that the relationship to platforms will end up looking like the relationship between cable distributors and cable networks where um, you know Time Warner can cut off cut off yes networks from New York City um, if they don't agree with, on a deal and so um, in that sense um, these platforms are very very important 
Um, but that that implies that you're very confident that mic content is so important to Facebook that they couldn't get their you know use another publisher for millennial news. Well, yeah, or vice versa that that Facebook is the only game in town and that there won't be another platform that's competitive that and that that Facebook wants to beat. Um, and I think, I mean, Facebook owns Instagram, obviously, and and that was a great acquisition. But what we've continued to see is is in the content distribution world, nobody on the internet has a monopoly for very long. Um, everybody thought Google had a monopoly, and then out of nowhere comes Facebook. Everybody thinks Facebook has a monopoly now. now Snapchat and, or? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, it's, Instagram is much is incredibly important. Um, Facebook owns it, obviously. But the point is, three years from now, um, I don't think it. we will see a monopoly. That being said, I think Facebook will continue to be incredibly important the same way that Google's, Google and SEO has continued to be incredibly important. Um, and so I'm not paranoid about um, about having no leverage. And, and But um, I do think that in order to, 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 to build a sustainable business, you need to be on various platforms and need to make sure you're on the next one and you get big if it gets big. Um, and I think we've done that really well. So in that vein, to what extent do you think, uh, and to Stephen's point, that content will become sort of a differentiator for the platforms themselves? I mean, do you think platforms are going to start buying content? We're already seeing that uh, with Facebook Live. You know, they've obviously sort of commissioned live video from some publishers. Uh, is that something you, you kind of think is going to happen a few years down the line? Or I mean, if you take a look at any of the social networks, they've all already bought content. <laughs> um, You know, if you look at what's happened in the sports space, um, I think Google, uh, I don't know if Facebook, but Twitter Twitter is. Twitter and the NFL. Um, They're all paying pretty premium rights for premium content. But that's football. I mean, Twitter buying football games. I mean, that's... it's no an, offense to Mike content, but NFL football is, is NFL football. Yeah, it's an experiment for, for Twitter that's making it look like a more traditional media company. Um, so I think, uh, I don't know if how those experiments are going to go, but I think if you look at what's at stake and the amount of advertising dollars at stake that are really TV advertising called for by TV right now um, and and can get unlocked if the platforms have better content and better engagement, um, you will see people starting to pay for content. And then you've got a whole new world of content acquirers, a la all the streaming services, um, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, et cetera, who are buying content from whoever creates the best content uh, and can bring the most interesting audiences to their platforms. Um, and so if you're sitting right now as a, as a great content creator who can reach an exclusive audience and, and can do that repeatedly day in, day out, I think there's a lot of opportunities um, to monetize beyond advertising. And so back to the business model question, I think advertising is going to get us to, to be a profitable business in the next uh, 18 months. For sure. Okay. Um, there we go. You heard it here first on the Media Mix podcast. Then you've got all these other interesting business models that are actually coming to play and starting to add up to real dollars for Mike today um, because we can bring content that's relevant to smart young people who don't really care about old legacy brands. Um, and we can also direct our firehose of traffic to those platforms pretty effectively. So, last question you guys just signed a 10 and a half year lease. We're already done. We are. What do you think? 
I think we can keep going. Uh, um, last question. So you guys just signed like a ten and a half year lease at One World Trade. Uh, that's obviously a big runway. There are a lot of media executives who think this is going to be like the bloodbath year in digital media. Maybe you guys don't hold that view. What do you think is going to happen next? I mean, do you guys want to sell? Are you going to go public? Like, what's the runway for Mike over the next I don't know, year or two? Yeah, I think it's it's. It's pretty focused. It's There's 40 million college-educated millennials in the U.S., and we want to reach every single one of them every week and then every day. Um, and whatever we have to do on the editorial side um, to create... Uh, to create stories that are compelling enough to bring that audience to Mike uh, on all these platforms is is what we need to remain focused on exclusively, um, and I think the rest will take care of itself. And you know, signing, you know, getting an office that fits enough people to 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 do that is is what the World Trade Center lease is is all about. Um, I think ultimately it comes back to you know five years from now when Mike produces something, does it matter? as much as when the big guys produce it. Um, and if it does, then then we'll be successful. Cool. All right, we'll have you on in five years' time, and we'll, we'll see if uh, that held up. Uh, thanks, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, till next time, I'm Stephen Perlberg with Jack Marshall. It's the WSJ Media Mix podcast. Thanks for listening.